All right, all right, all right. Welcome. I'm glad you are here uh, with us today as we begin discipleship class, and this will be uh, class number eleven. Class number eleven. So let's pray, and uh, we'll get we'll get right into it. Father, thank you for your great love for us, Lord. Thank you that you knew us before we were ever formed in our mother's wombs, Father. That you. about making up our own story, Lord. You sent Jesus to die for us and to bring us back into alignment, into agreement with you and your will and your perfect plan and destiny for our lives. And so, Father, I thank you tonight that as we open up our hearts to you, as we present ourselves before you, Lord, I thank you that that you are speaking to us by your Holy Word and by your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us into all truth. And Lord, I thank you that you are bringing answers to us, Father. Lord, we, we come to you uh, today for answers, and I thank you, Father, that you need, and Lord, that you're speaking those answers to us. Lord, I thank you that you're challenging us. Lord, I thank you that you are inspiring us and motivating us, because, Father, you dwell within us by your Son, Lord, to, to will and to do, uh, Lord, what it is that you have uh, put in us uh, to do for your glory in this earth. Lord, thank you for those who have been so faithful, Lord, uh, to this class uh, 11 classes in now. I thank you, Father, for those that are here present in the room, for those that are watching online. Lord, we believe you for good things, Lord, as we look into your word together now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so let me put the title slide back up. Um, we are continuing today to look at the word of reconciliation, and so this will be part three, the word of reconciliation, part three. and. Um, verse out of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. There's a couple of verses that are very important about the Word of God and for some reason helping me remember numbers of verses if I can develop a pattern. So 2 Timothy 2.15 as well as 2 Timothy 3.16. So 2.15, 3.16 help you remember some of these verses that we've been looking at the last week or so. Uh, but 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 is our... Uh, for uh, our study, and it says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, before we get into this, let's do a little bit of review. And we've looked in 2 Corinthians 5, where every born-again believer has been given a ministry. We've been given this ministry called the Ministry of Reconciliation, and we've taken... Uh, you know, a considerable amount of time to explain already what that ministry is, what it looks like, how it works both in your life and then through your life, remembering that anything Father does uh, in you, then He also wants to do through you. And so we've been so thoroughly reconciled to God that we are now qualified as ministers of reconciliation, that He has given, the Bible says it that, that way, He has given to you uh, the ministry of reconciliation. And in order for us to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says that he has committed to you the word of reconciliation. Committed to you the word of reconciliation. Now, on Sundays here at Heritage, and uh, we've been looking at this word commit and what it means to commit. And, and one way to understand commit is to entrust into the care of another. So, Father has entrusted into your care uh, 
something that is as precious as anything that, that exists on this planet, and that's His Word. He's entrusted you with His Word so that you can then use His Word to be a minister of reconciliation to other people. Now, last week we began to look at two very key things pertaining to the Word of God, or as it's poetically referred to in 2 Corinthians 5, as the Word of Reconciliation. And that is our ability to rightly divide the Word of God and our ability to skillfully apply it. Rightly divide it and then skillfully apply it. Um, when we talk about skillfully applying it, we're obviously talking about you know, taking the wisdom from the Word of God and being able to live it out and walk it out in our daily lives. But before we can ever skillfully apply it, we must first be able to rightly divide it. You can't do what God's called you to do if you're confused about you know, what the Bible says and, and what it says to you and what part of you know, the Bible is for you to perform uh, today. I know this is a pretty maybe obvious example of this, but, um, but we... Uh, do not bring animals to church with us to sacrifice any longer. Uh, that's obviously part of, a, of, of the former covenant, of the old covenant. That's, that's not something that, that we do, or let me say it another way, that's not something we do to our lives. And so there's, there's parts. So you have to rightly divide it and then be able to skillfully apply it. So <clears throat> just again, by way of review, last week we said the first major division um, and the first cut that absolutely needs to be made is to divide the Old Testament <clears throat> and the message of the Old Testament from the New Testament and the message of the New Testament. We said to way overgeneralize, but again, you've got to start somewhere, that the Old Testament reveals to us the power of sin, while the New Testament reveals to us the power of love. In the Old Testament, if you came in contact with a leper, if you touched someone who had the disease of leprosy, you became unclean and had to go through a purification ritual. In the New Testament, again, trying to show you the stark difference between the two, in the New Testament, we see that if you touch a leper, then the leper is made clean. So when Jesus, in his earthly ministry, laid his hands on lepers to, to ultimately heal them, uh, I can only imagine the gasp that that probably performed by the by the crowd, you know, because it was just something you you did not do. It was something that was completely unheard of, and yet the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus uh, touched the lepers and made them clean. We also see that the old covenant of the Old Testament was both a law-based and a performance-based approach to having relationship and right standing with God while the New Testament is a grace-based, faith-based approach to having relationship and right standing with God. And so one of the great problems that existed in the days when the Bible was being written, sometimes we refer to this as the early church, and, and I don't have a problem with you calling it the early church just as long as you know it's the same church that we're, we're a part of today. There's only, there's only one church, the body of Christ. Um, the called out ones, that's who we are. So in the early days, we should say it maybe that way, um, of the church, so many Jewish men and women were receiving salvation through Jesus Christ, and, and yet they had been so indoctrinated in the law and in the practices and rituals of the law 
this was a, a really hard uh, separation for a lot of them, uh, you know, to make, to go from, you know, doing what the law said to now living uh, in this new covenant uh, of grace. I can understand it at least uh, being challenging for them, but it is somewhat hard for me to understand why it's, why it's still such a big problem in our world today, why, why so many people still uh, try to have a relationship with God based upon their performance or based upon their obedience to uh, a set of, of laws and principles as opposed to uh, the righteousness that comes because we've received for ourselves what Jesus has done for us. And so, again, one of the great problems, and, and this is kind of an you know, early way of illustrating, you know, to, to skillfully apply, you must first rightly divide. Um, if you don't rightly divide the Word of God, then your skillful application of it will be confused, and you'll be trying to earn your standing with God. You'll be trying to make yourself right with God by your own uh, performance and adherence to uh, the commandments. So one of the great problems then is the failure to make this shift from what you do for God uh, to, to believing and receiving for yourself what He has uh, done for you already. Now, uh, a really good verse for us to understand, Hebrews 13.9. Let me uh, put that up on the screen for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 9. He says, Be not carried about with uh, diverse, that means different, and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And this verse, without going into a, a, a lengthy uh, explanation of, of what he's saying here, the, the Old Testament had so many laws and traditions and ordinances about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. And and if you ate this, you were righteous. If you ate this, you were contaminated and defiled. And, and, and so much emphasis was being placed on those things. And so the writer of Hebrews, of course, we know the Holy Spirit ultimately is the author. We don't know which apostle was used to actually pen the letter. But we know the Holy Spirit through the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, is saying to us that, that we should not be carried about with these different and strange doctrines, but instead grace. And, and this is such an important truth for us to understand. But again, if we, if we never learn to rightly divide the Word of God, we're going to, to, to be struggling to, um, uh, you know, between these two different approaches, uh, our performance, our obedience, you know, how good we've been determines how righteous we are uh, versus the gift of, grace means gift, the gift of righteousness that Jesus uh, for us on our behalf, and then has uh, has given to us. Let's let's dig a little more into you know this this first and most important cut, uh, rightly dividing the word of God. And what we see first of all, uh, or as we continue, not necessarily first of all, is this idea of an outside in versus an inside out approach to uh, having a relationship and fellowship with God. So when we say an outside-in versus uh, inside-out, in the Old Testament, there was Moses' law and all the commandments, and, um, and that covenant went something like this, okay? If you do everything that's written in, in the, the, the law, uh, then you'll be blessed. But um, if you do not do everything that's written in the law, um, you'll be exposed to and experience the curse 
uh, in your life. And so it was an external standard that everyone uh, you know, tried to live up to. They aspired to try to fulfill. So that's what I mean by an outside. The standard was outside of them. And, and so you know, they, the, the law said do this and don't do that. Live this way, don't live that way. And so it was something on the outside they were trying to live up to. The New Testament, on the other hand, is where God does something on the inside of you, amen, that then in turn works its way from the inside of you out. So we talk about these you know, tremendous differences between the old and the new, and the reason we need to divide, divide one from the other is that they're two completely different approaches to, the, to, to, to living the life that God created us to live, either an outside-in approach or an approach. Now, we also see, to, to illustrate this, in the Old Testament, when that covenant was, um, was ratified, and of course all this is, is there you know, in the first five books of the Bible. I'm, I'm not going to try to... We, we could spend days on this. There's, it's rich. There's a lot to it in the Bible. Um, but what we see is when Moses, God gave him the law and he then gave it to the people and explained to them that, that God was offering this covenant to them. Would they uh, want to enter into and accept the terms of this agreement? And, and the people said yes, they, they, they were willing uh, to, to do that. And so to, uh, to ratify it, to, to set it in motion, uh, they filled a large basin full of the blood of an animal, and Moses dipped a hyssop branch, H-Y-S-S-O-P, a hyssop branch in that uh, basin of, of blood. And a hyssop branch, uh, if, if you, you know, could like feel of it, it, it would almost be like it was covered or coated in velvet. Uh, it had a nap to it like a, like a mohair roller for any painters uh, in, in, the, uh, in the audience. And so... Uh, that, that meant it would, when he dipped it in the blood, the blood would kind of absorb into it. And then he took that branch and he began to do it like this on uh, the people. And as he did that, he was saying, this is the blood of the covenant. This is the blood of the covenant. And that, that blood was literally landing on them. It was landing on their clothes, face, hair, um, all the people that were there, which I know in some ways it, 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 you know, it sounds gory, inconvenient, whatever, uh, all of the above. But this was how, it, because again, it was this out from the outside in approach. Now compare this to when Jesus has the meal with his disciples, the Last Supper, as it's often referred to, it was the Passover meal, before he uh, goes to be crucified. Uh, he breaks the bread and says, this is my body. This is my body that's broken for you. He, he said he wanted them to take of that and to eat it. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's the blood of the new covenant. And he passed it around. He said, I want you to drink of it, all of you. Drink of it, all of you. Notice Jesus didn't um, dip a, a cloth in it and splash it on them or dip his fingers in it and, 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 and flick it on them. But instead, he the new wine. And so when they take that and drink that, it's, it's signifying that the, the new covenant and the new work that Jesus has come to do in them and in us is not something from the outside in, but something from the inside out. And, and 
let me say it another way. Jesus came to transform the deepest part of you. He, he came to put a new spirit in you. Amen. And for your new spirit, when it's born uh, anew, for your new spirit and the Holy Spirit to become one spirit. And so this is, this is the deepest part of you that Jesus came to transform. We've used this uh, phrase, this terminology, multiple times throughout our time together already. But one of the ways we define discipleship is the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. See, in the Old Testament, it started with an outward expression that you were trying to conform yourself to. You, you were trying to make yourself. That's why the disciples asked Jesus, uh, standard question for them, who do you make yourself out to be? Because that was the, that was the, the religious approach of the Old Testament was you trying to live up to a standard, conform to an outward standard. Well, now we see that conformity has been uh, replaced by transformation. So it's not conforming, it's transforming, where Jesus comes on the inside of a man or a woman and transforms them at the deepest level of their existence. And then through this process of discipleship, what's already true about you, me, a born-again man or woman inwardly, uh, begins to work its way out, working with fear and trembling. It, it comes from the inside of a man or a woman uh, outward. Amen. So, again, we're talking about being able to rightly divide. So notice now, if, if, if you don't rightly divide it, um, the enemy will constantly be confusing you about, well, how, how is it that I'm right before God? Is it based upon what I do for him? or what He's done for me. Now, no one misunderstand me. What you do for God is absolutely important. Um, it, it, it is uh, of the utmost importance. And, and, and I think if you've listened to the first 10 classes, <laughs> then you know that, that I 100% uh, believe that. Okay, But when you stand before God one day, uh, I hope that you are not so foolish as to brag about and rest upon what you've done for Him. Uh, because what's going to matter on that day is what he's done for you and the fact that you have, the truth that you have received that uh, for yourself. I like, to say it, I like to say it this way, okay? Your right standing with God is not based upon what you do for God, but your reward from God is based upon what you do for him. Your standing, right standing righteousness is not based upon your works. It's not based upon your performance. But your rewards are based upon your works, are based upon your performance. Okay? Now, let's go to Matthew the 7th, I'm sorry, after, uh, Matthew chapter 17 and number 4. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 4. Praise God. You see, the, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes and lives in you and then we learn how to let him live through us. Amen. As opposed to, you know, me and you beating our head against a religious wall un until we learn how to conform, uh, you know, to him outwardly. Uh, he, he conforms you to himself inwardly so that you then have the wherewithal uh, to live as he created and intended for you to live. Praise God. All right, so Matthew uh, chapter 17 and um, verses 4 and 5. 
Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now, if you're not familiar with what's going on here, this is referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. This is when uh, Jesus uh, separated from the twelve disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, and they went with him alone in, in, into this uh, you know, mountainous area. And the Bible says that Jesus was uh, transfigured uh, before them. The, the Bible says that his face began to glow, that his uh, clothing began to glow uh, whiter than uh, any soap on earth could, could, er, could ever make them. And it, it's really, uh, praise God, when we and teach on spirit, soul, and body, what's, what's actually happening there is Jesus on the inside is, is emanating, shining through him outwardly, his flesh uh, outwardly, uh, you know, to the point that you know, the, the glory of God, <clears throat> we don't see it here in Matthew, I think it's, it's Luke's account of this, where they literally became, became drowsy and, and, and passed out. I mean, that's, that's how strong the presence of God was in, the, in this situation. And what happens now in that cloud, um, we see that two of the great figures from the Old Testament, uh, Moses, who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt, and then Elijah, they're there, and they are talking with Jesus. They're talking about um, the, the suffering that is ahead uh, of him. And I believe, of course, encouraging him and strengthening him. And, and Peter, James, and John are sitting here witnessing this. Uh, and, and what a phenomenal uh, experience uh, uh, for them. And um, so after you know, a minute or two, You know, he was often the first one to speak on things. Uh, he speaks up and he says, "Lord, it's it's good for us to be here." Okay, th this is this is good, man. Th this is this is amazing, right? And so, if it's okay with you, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're we're going to build three tabernacles here. Um, so, a tabernacle would be like not just an altar, but but like a remember the in the in the wilderness with the children of Israel, they had the the, the like a temporary. You know, not like the temple that was permanent, like a, a, a hut. Uh, 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 they were going to build a shack. You know, they, they were fixing to set up some tabernacles here. And there was going to be one tabernacle for Jesus, uh, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because what were they saying? They're saying, hey, we, 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 want, to, um, we want to stay right here. Um, there's a song Maverick City Music uh, released, I guess, a year or so ago. I don't know the exact release date on it. It's called Gyra. And um, there is a, a line in the song that says, I don't ever want to forget. I don't ever want to forget how I feel right now. And, and I know that there's a lot of lines in that song that really strike a chord with me. But, you know, there have been so many different experiences in my life, you know, where I've just been with the Lord or he's been so near to me. And, and you know, in the scriptures where it says joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? Um, man, whoever penned those words, they were anointed to pen them because 
that's really, it goes beyond human language to, to explain the glory of it and the joy of that moment. And, and I believe that was, in other words, I believe Peter's heart was sincere. He's like, man, this, let's, let's set up shop right here, man. Let's just build some tabernacles and let's just hang out here. And look, we'll get you a place to hang out, Moses. We'll get you a place to hang out, Elijah. We'll get you a place to hang out, Jesus. And, and you know, people can start coming by and, and visiting y'all and, 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 and all these other things. I think that was kind of the vision that, that Peter, you know, was trying to figure out what, how can we capture this moment? How can we um, capitalize on this moment? You know, the, the, and I don't mean financially capitalize. I mean for the glory of God capitalize. And so while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And then, of course, it's like it all just shut down. Chunk, you know. Um, I, had a, I had an amazing experience when I was a, a younger man. Pam and I, um, we were working. I was in school and just a, a, a lot uh, happening uh, in, in our lives. And... Um, Earlier that afternoon, I had been in a class, and it was, it was a it was a two hour class uh, at a, at UAB, and um, a lot of times the the professor would, if we had an exam, the professor would, uh, you know, give us the exam, and then when the exam was finished, we could leave. Well, in in this particular day, the professor said, once the exam is over, um, just you know, turn it in, and then you can sit there. Uh, quietly and read while everyone finishes because the second hour he said we're actually going to have class and so I finished my exam turned it in and I just pulled my New Testament out of, out of my uh, book bag and uh, was reading over in the Gospel of John and in the Gospel of John he talks about bearing fruit for God and how Father is glorified when we bear much fruit and Jesus was talking about bearing fruit and that fruit remaining and I don't know, man, just the Holy Spirit fell on me when I was there in that class, and, and there's something about that, because, you know, part of it was I knew God had called me, and, and I never could get settled on a particular Bible school to go to, and so I wound up going to UAB, and no, no slam on UAB, it's a great school, but, you know, they don't teach Bible college and pastoring and all that there. And so I was just a little like, Father, you know, am I, where I, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I where am I supposed to be? Am I where I'm supposed to be? That, those kinds of thoughts. Just under my breath, not anything big, you know. There were a few tears. I was kind of wiping them back, you know. And just the, the, just the simple cry from my heart was, Father, I, I want to bear fruit for your glory, and I want that fruit to remain. And what I understood about fruit remaining, would, would, it, it, was, it was people that would be ministered to, and, and, and then years later they would still not only be serving God and living for God, but they will be ministering to other people. And um, so later that evening, uh, Pam and I met back up and we, uh, we were in a revival service with Brother Jesse Duplantis. And we were sitting about a row and, um, and he walked to the end of my row that night operating the gifts of the Spirit and he pointed to me. He said, come here, young man. And um, so I came out in, into the aisle and he had a microphone, but in this situation, he didn't say over the microphone so everyone could hear it. He just, he put it down and he just, he spoke to me. And he, and he spoke some important things to me. Some of it, uh, I'm not really at liberty to, to share even to this day. I don't really feel released to share that. There were some corrective things that I needed to hear, some challenging things that I needed to hear. And all of it was, was spot on. I received it and still receive it to this day and think about it often. And, um, of course, I am... 
to say that I'm taller than somebody is not really an exaggeration. If those of you who know me know I'm not the shortest or smallest man God ever made, but, but Jesse Duplantis is a good bit shorter than me. And so he, he reached up to lay his hand on my chest, and I mean, his hand was that close to my chest. And right before his hand touched my chest, he, he pulled it back, and he said, look at me, because I, you know, I, you know, I was ready to receive you know, when he laid his hand on me. He said, look at me for a minute. And I looked at him for a minute, and he said, he, he's looking up at me, and he pointed, his, he pointed his finger at me. He said, God told me to tell you, young man, that you will bring forth fruit, and your fruit will remain. And I was like, are you, man, are you kidding me? It's like such a confirmation. I get chills all over me right now. Um, and so, man, he laid hands on me, and the power of God just, you know, literally put me on my back. I'm one of those guys like, you know, I'm not going to give you some courtesy drop. You know, I mean, if, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people, like, you get close to them, they just pass out, you know. And, uh, but man, I could not stand up under the power of God. And so, you know, I'm laying there tongues. And so I'm telling you the whole story one because I want to ask you, but this was kind of, every time I read the story in the scriptures, um, you know, people, I had a question, Elijah. You know, it's like, oh man, you know. And, um, and then Father speaks and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like the curtain closed. Well, I'm laying there flat on my back speaking in tongues and this elderly gentleman uh, kneels down beside me, and he starts shaking me. And, you know, I'm like, okay, just leave me alone, sir. You know, I'm a, you know I'm, and, and then he shakes me again. And finally, I open my eyes, and he says, young man, are you saved? <laughs> I said, yes, sir, help me up. You know what I'm saying? I was like, it was kind of like, you know, really? You know? Anyway, I don't know why I told you that story other than it just... Again, I read this, and that was kind of the whole thing. You know, it's like, um, what's, what's the saying the younger generation uses today? Read the room, Peter. Read the room. But anyway, uh, he obviously did not read the room. Now, what does this have to do with rightly dividing the Word of God? I think if we look closely at this, um, Moses, uh, in this passage, would represent everything we see in the law. Uh, he wrote the first, um, I say he wrote, the Holy Spirit books of the Bible. We see the law came to God's people, the Jewish people through Moses. And so Moses there with uh, Jesus, uh, he would be a representative, a human representative of the law. Elijah standing there with Jesus would be a human representative of the prophets. And so the Old Testament is basically the law and the prophets. Notice what God the Father says he says, here you have the law, and here you have the prophets, and listen to my son. Think about that for a moment. Listen to my son. Hear ye him. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, if we have time to, to get there tonight, we're going to see Hebrews 1, where the Bible says, in previous times, Father spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days, he's what? He is speaking to us through the person of His Son. Now, if you look at the... Um, let's just do it. It'll be easier to show it to you. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 27. Um, and I won't look at all of these, but if you've ever read and studied um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, 
you know that he fell into a preacher's pattern. Now, this, this kind of comes to us as a surprise to a lot of people, but um, if you don't know this, Jesus, okay, Jesus went about preaching. Jesus was a teacher. He went about teaching. Um, we see that Jesus preached daily and taught daily in the temple. So he wasn't just a preacher who occasionally preached. He preached and taught daily, okay? And so, you know, I, the difference between preaching and teaching, preaching is a proclaiming. It, it, it's, it's when you're just basically saying what God says and you're, and you're proclaiming it to the people. Teaching is when you explain it. It's when you explain and you expound upon and, and, and you help people understand. And so Jesus was, of course, the master preacher and teacher. But if there's any, any preachers listening to me right now, you know that at times in a sermon, you will fall into a rhythm where you may say uh, the same words and then put in a new word and then say the same words and then put in a new word. And that's, that's what we have. I, I imagine at this point, Jesus was, as we would say down here, was shelling the corn. In other words, he, he, he was on a roll and he was, he was letting it go. And the, the pattern or the rhythm that he fell into and repeated several times with you know, inserting different points along the way was the rhythm, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said. And so he had lots of these, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Here, here is an example of just one of those, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay? Now, what's the point? The point is very important back to rightly dividing the word of truth. When Jesus says, you have heard it said, okay, where did we hear it uh, said, you shall not commit adultery? We, that was said in the Old Testament. So if you look at all of those there in Matthew, the fifth chapter, where, where Jesus is saying, you've heard it said this, but I say to you, okay? So when he's saying you've heard it said this way, he's quoting from the Old Testament, but I say to you, or let me, let me, let me back up. When he says you've heard it said, he's quoting from the law that came to God's people through Moses. But now notice Jesus is taking it to another level. <laughs> Jesus is saying, look, you heard it said this, but I'm saying to you, because what was happening with this particular, uh, and it, it still goes on in our world today, um, you know, there were, uh, there were religious leaders who felt like they had not committed adultery because there were certain lines that they didn't cross with, with a female that was not their spouse or, or what have you um, in, in different places in, in, in the world today, uh, eastern parts of the world today. You can actually uh, marry uh, a, a, a woman for the night. I know that sounds crazy. You can marry her for one night and then divorce her in the morning uh, so that you can, quote-unquote, legally have uh, sexual relations with her. Uh, so there's all kinds of craziness like that, uh, that that's still going on in our world today. 
And Jesus is like just drawing the line. I mean, he's like, look, you, you've tried to find loopholes. You've tried to find angles and ways around this. Let me just go ahead and tell you. You've heard it said you, won't, you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm telling you right now that if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Okay? So notice that Jesus, what is he emphasizing? He's emphasizing the heart. He's emphasizing the inward, not the outward. He's, he's emphasizing, look, you, you're just looking at this as, you know, here's the standard, and this is what the standard means to you, and you haven't done that. You know, we, we had a, a, a president in our, in our history, you know, who looked into the TV camera and said, what, I, I did not have that woman, right? There was, when it all came out what he actually did, you know, uh, there were certain lines that he didn't cross, uh, but there were other lines that he crossed frequently. Uh, that's, that's the attitude that Jesus is trying to correct here um, because they had their own traditions and own ways of trying to, uh, you know, quote-unquote, uh, uh, technically obey the law, uh, but uh, actually in their hearts. So this is what Jesus is addressing here. All right, now let's go to Luke chapter 16 and verse 16. Luke 16 and 16. Again, building on this idea, uh, Elijah's there, Moses is there, Jesus is there. All of a sudden, no one's left standing but Jesus and God the Father. I didn't even mention this a moment ago, but you know, we see in the entire Word of God such rare occasion where Father God's voice is heard audibly um, by not... You know, we see it on occasion where it's heard audibly by a single individual. If you remember when Jesus appeared to uh, uh, Saul, now known as Paul, on the road to Damascus, that um, all those traveling with him saw the light, but only Saul heard the voice. Um, and so we see these different occasions where an individual maybe would hear the audible voice of God, but on rare occasion, would God the Father speak audibly and everyone standing you know, in voice, earshot, you know, heard it. So that in and of itself, uh, I think, really emphasizes the importance of um, hearing Jesus uh, above the law and the prophets. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. But let's look at this. Um, John, uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 16 and verse 16 he says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Now, this passage marks, you know, let, let, me, let me, using the, the theme of the evening, rightly dividing the word of truth, um, let's imagine that not only do we need to make a cut, now I want you to imagine that a dotted line has been placed exactly where the cut needs to be made. And where the cut needs to be made is immediately following the, the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, what we know from Jesus, stay with me on this one, what we know from Jesus is that John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. His ministry is recorded in the New Testament, but he actually uh, 
was the last prophet of the old way or the old system. Uh, Jesus even said this of John the Baptist, that he was the greatest prophet born of a woman. But Jesus went on to say, and we'll look at these verses in later classes, Jesus went on to say he's the greatest prophet born of a woman, but the very least in the kingdom is greater than John. Because the least in the kingdom is a man or a woman who's been born again. Now that doesn't, you know, we, we hear these things, does that mean John the Baptist is in hell? No, absolutely not, okay? Um, but again, he's talking about this transitional period. So notice again, the law and the prophets were until John. This is speaking of John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. So it's a new message. It's a new message because it's a new day. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Everyone is pressing into it. Now, we looked at this verse when we uh, spent some, a significant amount of time in John chapter 3, um, where Jesus said, born again to see the kingdom, and you must be born again to enter into the kingdom. And, and what we see is that when Jesus came to this earth, he brought the kingdom of God with him. And we see that the kingdom of God has now, is now present upon the earth, and, and, and people are starting to hear about this kingdom because why? It's being preached. How can they know about it? How can they, how can they know or believe or, or, or reach out for unless they hear about it? And so it's, it's being preached, and, and people are uh, connecting with this truth, uh, faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. They're, they're getting stirred up and excited about this. And so the example that I gave you in, uh, in our study of John, the third chapter, would be like a, a concert in um, and the doors open at 6 for a 7 o'clock concert, and you're there at 5.15. And the crowds are forming, and people are trying to press into a central location, but they're not able to enter until the doors are open. So this is the imagery, uh, if you will, to understand what Jesus is talking about here. We know that the kingdom is here, and it's being preached because the law and the prophets were until John, but that all ended with John, and now a new day is being ushered in. It's the day of God's kingdom among people, God's kingdom in people, and God's people in His kingdom. And this kingdom now is being preached, and people are pressing into it. Um, one passage says that the violent uh, take it by force. And so it, it's, it's with tr you know, it's effort that, that people are trying uh, to, to go in. But we, but we know this, right? That people will not be able to enter into the kingdom until they can be born again, which means they can't enter in until Jesus actually dies on the cross and is raised from the dead. Okay? So I, I kind of you know, went out to a you know, wide lens on you right there, uh, but just to help orient you um, with these uh, verses. Now, let's go, let's go to a, a verse that I, I, think, I think a lot of people understand it, but I also, I also think a lot of people misunderstand it or don't fully understand it. And it's what we find in John, the third chapter and the 30th verse. John chapter 3 and verse number 30. John chapter 3 and verse number 30. You, probably, you may not recognize the, the address, the numbers, John 3.30, but you more than likely will recognize the passage. Uh, and the verse says, He must increase, but I must decrease. 
And this is not Jesus speaking, but this is John the Baptist speaking. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons over the years uh, preached from this verse. Some of them good, some of them uh, misunderstanding what this verse is, is really talking about. Okay? Um, some people conclude from this verse uh, this, this wrong understanding. Um, all of Jesus and none of me. Okay, well, amen. I understand what you're saying there, um, but that's, that's not how God wants to operate uh, in and through your life. Okay? Um, we want to be led by His Spirit. We want to submit our will to His will. We want to uh, you know, sincerely, earnestly, and diligently seek Him and be available uh, to be used by Him in any way and in any capacity that He might choose. But this idea, all of Jesus and none of me, uh, well then, how's it going to get done? You, you do realize, uh, here's, a, here's a classic example. If you're familiar with the story of, of Cornelius' salvation in, uh, in the book of Acts, if you read that carefully, you'll see that angels were involved. Angels showed up at Cornelius' house and, and talked to him, gave him instructions, told him what to do, told him who to send where, and, and he told him that he sent a group of people to go get Peter, and bring Peter back to his house. And then the Lord appears to Peter in a vision and is talking about eating things that he's always considered to be unclean and, 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 and shouldn't touch and rise, kill. And Peter's like, no way. And God shows, says that to him three times. And then he tells him, um, there's folks downstairs looking for you. Go with them, doubting nothing. I've sent them. Okay? I want you to go preach the gospel to these, these people. Okay? Now think about it for just a moment. The angel of the Lord was standing in Cornelius' house. But he wasn't allowed to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his family. That angel told Cornelius, go get a man, go get Peter to come and preach the gospel to you. All right? So, so what am I saying? If it's all of Jesus and none of us, then the gospel's not going to be preached. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not trying to confuse you with this. But these are some of the extremes and some of the wrong understandings that people have from this idea, he must increase, but I must decrease. See, what you're going to understand, first of all, is that all increase comes from God. No matter what that increase is, all increase comes from God. And the only way for you to experience increase in God is for you to decrease. Okay? So, for instance, um, he gives more grace, right? Because if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you. So it's when you submit and humble yourself, that would be a version of decreasing. This is when God is able then to increase you. How about this? If I took a $20 bill out of my wallet and dropped it in the offering plate, I just decreased financially, but my willingness to decrease by faith and give to God cheerfully financially enables Him now to increase me financially. So He must increase, but I must decrease. So what is... And, and remember, context, context, context. As this, so there's all kinds of ways that we could understand this, and I'm not saying there's only one application here. But if, we, if we're really going to get this straight and understand it for what it's meant to be, under, under, how it was intended and what it was good, is that John the Baptist is saying, the system that I represent is fading to black, 
while at the same time the system that Jesus represents is 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 fading you know to light in other words it's it's the closing of one and the and the rising of another it's it's the end of one and the beginning of another and so the, it's not just that John was decreasing it's it's the system that that John represented he he was the last he he was closing the door on the old system and at the same time introducing Jesus who is the door of this new way of this new system. So John the Baptist then, let's work our way through some of these. John the Baptist was the last prophet of the old system. When I say old system, think old covenant, the old approach, the old way of doing things, the old way of, of seeing and experiencing things. Let me, I know we've already mentioned uh, the third chapter of John class uh, once already. Let's go back to it. Remember that Nicodemus was confused and the question that brought him to Jesus was, I know that you're a man sent from God because no man can do the things that you do unless God be with him, okay? But, but Nicodemus is trying to understand this from the Old Testament, the Old System perspective. And under the Old System, it was, it was God uh, anointing a, a man or at times even a woman, and thank God for that. And I know you, you know, give a shout out to your sisters in the room and listening. Um, and he would put a measure of his spirit upon that person, uh, and then that would empower or enable that person to speak on God's behalf, to speak to other people, you know, uh, to speak to God on other people's behalf, speak to people on God's behalf, uh, a king, the anointing on a king. Um, and, and so they're trying to understand Jesus from that Old Testament perspective. Um, that's why a lot of people said, well, you know, he's got to be a prophet, but, you know, it's not like any prophet we've ever seen, but it's been a long time since we've had a prophet. So we, you know, <laughs> who among us ever knew one? You know, so it's kind of, that was where a lot of the confusion was, was coming in. But here's the answer to that. Please don't miss this. Here's the answer to that. Jesus was not operating under that Old Testament system of, 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 a, of, a, of a man with a, with a measure or a portion of God's Spirit resting upon him. The Bible plainly says that Jesus was given the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, without measure. So the miracles that, that Nicodemus uh, was witnessing and the miracles that, that was being performed and any miracle that occurred after that, it has been produced in people's lives because of the kingdom of God. It is the resources of God, the realm of God, um, the domain of God, God's dominion, God's authority, God's rule, God's reign, God's realm, God's resources, all, everything that is the kingdom of God, it's God's kingdom breaking through into the earth. This is why Nicodemus is like, man, I'm seeing these miracles, Jesus, and I know that God's with you because you couldn't do them if God wasn't with you. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, so if you would give me a little liberty, but what Jesus is saying is like, look, Nicodemus, you're, what you're seeing is not what you think you're seeing. Because you'll never see the kingdom unless you're born again. Because what you're seeing is the kingdom producing these results. Remember, visible results from an invisible source. The invisible source was God's kingdom. And the visible results were the miracles that Jesus was producing. This was different from all of those folks in the Old Testament and the miracles that they performed. And so even if you think about it, and I'm way ahead of myself, but I'm right where I need to be, so just stay with me, praise God. If you think about it, every miracle that you see in the earthly ministry of Jesus there is an Old Testament counterpart. For instance, Jesus multiplied food. Food was multiplied as well in the Old Testament. 
Jesus healed uh, sick people. Sick people were healed in the Old Testament. Jesus raised people from the dead. Prophets raised people from the dead in the Old Testament. But there was one thing, one miracle, one uh, uh, power sign that Jesus performed in the New Testament that we have no record of in the Old Testament. And that was Jesus casting out demons. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, if you see me casting out demons with the finger of God, it can only mean one thing. The kingdom of God is among you. So this was a special sign, if you will. Um, I don't know all the mind and heart of God concerning this, but it seems to me, from a diligent study of Scripture, that the casting out of devils was reserved for citizens of the kingdom. Because remember, Jesus wasn't the only person who cast out demons. He hit the 12 cast them out, the 70 cast them out. Uh, we see it all through the, 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 the New Testament and, and, and the book of Acts. Uh, folks casting them out. Paul, uh, apostle born out of due time, uh, cast them out. There's folks in this room that have cast them out. I'm not saying this bragging, but I've cast, I've cast demons out. Um, but, but none of that in, in, the, in the Old Testament. Okay? So this was a, a, a sign unique to the kingdom, so much so that Jesus drew attention to it and said, if you see me casting out devils, it means the kingdom of God is among you. So John the Baptist represented an old system. Jesus represented a new system. He, he, he represented... So do you understand now, if you take that, Jesus represented the, the new, John represented the old, and John says, as a representative of the old, I must decrease. And Jesus, as a representative of the new, he must increase. So in, in some ways, it was an, it was an instant you know, cleaving uh, from one to the other, but in a lot of ways, it was, it was the fading of one and, and, the, and the increasing of another. So let me give you a classic example. Jesus forgave sins. Okay. Jesus forgave sins. Uh, to my knowledge, we don't see a prophet in the Old Testament forgiving sins. Okay. Jesus forgave sins. How, how is it that Jesus could, could say to the, the man on the, on the bed that's paralyzed, your sins be forgiven you? And everybody gasped, you know. And Jesus looks at him, he says, which is easier? Aren't you glad he didn't say which is harder? He said, which is easier, to say your sins be forgiven or to say take up your bed and walk? Well, in those days, they thought forgiving of sins was, was harder and healing was easier. Notice how that's reversed itself in the church today because healing hasn't been preached like it should, it should be preached, but, but forgiveness of sins has been. And people have faith now for the forgiveness of sins, but not enough of God's people have faith, let's say it that way, um, for the healing part. But for Jesus, both were easy. But here's what you have to understand about Jesus. When he forgave that man and others, and when he forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery, he wasn't sweeping their sin under the rug. He, this was the transitional period. He didn't say, go offer sacrifices at the temple for your sins. And nor did he sweep them under the, lug, under the rug. What was he saying? He was saying, I'll take your sin, and I'll let, them drag me outside the, I'll let them drag me outside the gate. And instead of stoning you to death, ma'am, for your sin, I'll let them crucify me for it instead. So do you see how you've got this um, you know, transitional period where the old is decreasing at the same time the new is increasing? Uh, and, and in so doing, obligated himself to be punished for her sin at um, a later date. Okay, so John the Baptist was the last prophet of the Old 
system. Let's work our way through some of these. Maybe this will be easier and quicker if I just do it this way. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Are y'all? Okay, amen. I'm having myself a good time up in here, and uh, amen. I hope that you are as well. Praise God. All right. I looked at my watch. I probably shouldn't have done that. All right, an hour's already gone by. So let's, uh, I'm just, I'll tell you what, I'll leave, I'll leave. Sometimes I forget to swap back over to a camera view on the live stream, but I'm just going to leave the screen up because I know some of you are taking notes uh, that are watching. And uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's a classic example, right? So let's work our way through some of these. John the Baptist represented the system that was going away. Jesus instead represented a new system that was coming to replace the system John represented. So it's not two systems and you have the option. See, that, that, that's the way a lot of people look at this. And, and we even see in, uh, in like the letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians and, and different ones, you know, where folks would get born again. For that matter, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, would get born again and then Jewish people would say, Jewish believers who had received Jesus, they would say, yeah, but you know, you might want to be circumcised just to be sure. You know, after all, you know, you can't hurt, you know. And, and so they, in other words, they, they did that. What is that? That is a refusal to rightly divide the word. Um, and so you know, you've got this hybrid uh, gospel, which is no gospel at all, um, where folks are trying to live in the New Testament with an Old Testament mindset, all right? Do what now? Double-mindedness. And what does that do according to the Word of God? It creates instability in all of our ways. All right? So let's move on here. So all of these, when I say John, this is John the Baptist, not John the Beloved. So John um, was helping people find God, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to act like that's some kind of bad or wrong thing. But notice the difference. Um, Jesus represented a system in which uh, God was coming to find you. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So under that old system, people were trying to find God. Under the new system, God is here on the earth in human form, in the form of His Son, and He has come to this earth to find you, to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay. So um, here's another one. John preached, turn from sin... Jesus came to take away our sin. Jesus, John rather, preached to turn from sin. Turn from the sin, turn from it, okay? Um, and again, there's nothing wrong with that message, but Jesus came to do more than tell us to turn from it. He came to take it away. This is the, the next one is the one that Sister Pam was talking about. Um, John baptized with water. But even in him baptizing people with water, he said there's one coming after him that he wasn't worthy to tie his shoes, speaking of Jesus, and that Jesus would do what Jesus baptized with the Holy Ghost. So John baptized with water. Jesus baptized with the Holy Ghost. All right? You see the difference here. See, in... Even, even those that are participating in this class, you're still not sure about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, the, the initial evidence of speaking in unknown tongues. They're, they're, I know there's a lot of confusion uh, in, in the body of Christ today. 
uh, about these things. But even, even those who are on the fence uh, about that doctrine and experience and gift that's available um, to us, we, we have heard so much about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we just take it for granted that this has always been available to people, that this has always uh, you know, been there for people to, to have and, and to have Him, the Holy Spirit, uh, working and operating in their lives to, to the full and to, and to the overflowing. And when, when you look back at how it was under that old system, um, it, it was a very uh, rare and uh, select group that ever experienced even a measure, a portion of God's Spirit uh, upon them, not in them to overflowing. You know, in, in the New Testament, we have God's Spirit in us, and if we will allow Him and surrender and yield to Him, the Holy Spirit that's in you, Jesus said, would be like rivers of living water flowing up like a wellspring, a fountain from your inner out of you and upon you. You know, it, again, it, it's the, the difference between what was possible and available under the Old System, the Old Testament, versus what's now uh, available and possible under the New is uh, just, it's just absolutely amazing, okay? So, um, I know I've probably made this point already, but let me just keep going with it a little more. So, John the Baptist was the end of an era, and he was the last in Griffiths. But Jesus marked the beginning of a new era. John's era was one of works. I'll put this on the screen, praise God. John's era was one of works. And you know, we could say by works, what we mean by that is what you do for God. Jesus' era is, because it continues, right? It is one of grace, what God has done for you. All right? John's era was based upon what you deserve, okay? So, you know, what have you done for God? What have you earned? You know, if you, if you obey the law, you'll be blessed. If you, if you break it, you'll be cursed. So John's era was about what you deserve. Jesus' era is based upon what God desires for you to have. So I'm trying to play off those two words that are, you know, you know spelt similarly there, desire and deserve. God does not want you and me to have what we deserve. He wants to be able to give to you what He desires for you to have. This is why He took the system out of what you can perform and earn and put it into a system of faith, what you can believe Him for and receive. So John's era was one based upon what you deserve from God. Jesus' era is based upon what God desires for you to have. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment um, how confused people are who do not know how to make this division. People who do not understand the difference between the old and the new. I'll be honest with you, um, I was born again at a very early age, but this was one of the great uh, struggles of my life. When I say struggles, it didn't have to be a struggle, it's just... Uh, no one ever explained it to me, or if they were explaining it to me, uh, I wasn't listening or, or hearing understanding uh, for several years of, of my walk um, with the Lord. Um, and so I was like uh, 
what a lot of people, I was experiencing what a lot of God's people are experiencing today. I was trying to live in the New Testament with an Old Testament mindset. Okay? And, 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 and it just gives the devil so many opportunities uh, to, um, you know, to accuse you, uh, to frustrate you, uh, to, um, to lie to you. Uh, you know, you, you wonder, you know, if, and this is where a lot of the talk, and I'm not trying to, like, offend anybody's doctrine, this is where a lot of the talk you hear in the body of Christ, people saying, well, I'm just trying to make it to heaven, you know, Oh, man, listen to me. If, if you're trying to make it to heaven based upon your ability to get yourself there, whew, man, see, that, that, that ain't happening ever, ever. You know, it, it's, 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 it's not what you do for God, it's what He's done for you. And see, the more you understand what He's done for you, then that's what motivates you to want to do whatever you do for Him for the right heart, from the right heart. See, when you're doing something, to earn a position with God versus doing something for God because you know He gave you that position as a gift, it completely revolutionizes your heart uh, towards you know, what you do for God and how you go about doing it. Amen. 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 All right. Let's, um, let's kind of shift gears here because we're still talking about, um, and I think we've got time to at least get started on this, maybe finish it. Um, and... And you have to be able to rightly divide um, the, the Word of God. And I want to uh, offer to you that the revelation of the nature and personality of God is progressive throughout the Scriptures. The revelation, when we say revelation, we're talking about something that has been hidden, that's now uncovered, that previously could not be seen, but has now been revealed and can be seen. So, what we know about God, let's say it that way, what's been revealed to us about the nature and personality of God is progressive throughout the Scriptures. So we know that the Bible begins in Genesis and works through 66 books to the final in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this revelation of the nature and personality of God that unfolds along with the unfolding of the Bible when I use this word progressive, I know like politically that's kind of a, 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 a negative buzzword to conservatives and things of that nature. What we mean by this is that we know more about him as we progress through the Bible. More about his nature, more about his personality, more about who he is and what he's like um, and what he does and what he doesn't do, what he likes and what he doesn't like. Um, this is revealed as the Bible unfolds and we know more and more about him as it develops. Now, this is kind of back to, um, you know, especially if you were raised in church, you know, we just take for granted some of the things that we know about God that, um, <laughs> that uh, you know, we just assume that people have always known these things about him. Uh, but that's simply not the case. There are things available for us to know and understand about God today that were not known or even available to be known by people on this earth for thousands and thousands of years of existence on this planet. Okay. So the day in which we live, a day where Jesus has come to this earth and he's revealed to us the Father in, in, in a living, breathing expression of the divine intelligence, 
I know we think that people have always known and understood these things, but the reality of it is that they have not. They have not always understood these things. For instance, when Solomon, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but when Solomon says life is vain and is not worth living and it's days of trouble and then you die. I mean, the Bible records that and certainly that was his understanding and that was his, uh, I don't know if he wrote that from a place of frustration or, or, or where that came from. And certainly we see that at, at a point in the past in the scriptures, but we know better than that today, right? We, we now have the abundant life that only Jesus uh, can, uh, can give to us. And so when we say that the revelation of the nature and personality of God is progressive throughout the scriptures, we know that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what we know about Him does change. Now, listen, that's true of people who are listening to me right now who maybe you've only been born again for, you know, six months or, or what have you. Uh, or maybe you were raised in a church that told you reading the Bible would make you crazy and don't read it and just let us tell you what you need. There's, there's all kinds of people who know very little about God, His true nature and personality. Other folks know more uh, about it. Uh, so whether you're just now learning about Him or whether you've known about Him, you know, and, and, and know a lot about Him, praise God, uh, how it is revealed to us throughout the Scriptures uh, is still uh, progressive. So it's not that God changes, it's that, it's that what we know of Him changes. Now, one of the best ways to illustrate this is that in the Scriptures, God uses many different names to identify Himself. And each one of these names reveals something to us about Him that we did not know previously. It's almost like he's introducing himself. See, if, if, you, if you look at it carefully in Genesis, Abraham did not um, understand that God was the only true and living God. He came out of a, of a culture and a system that worshipped many gods. And, and so, you know, Abraham, just, you know, to simplify it, you know, he, he finally found one that talked back to him. You know, um, it's not until Moses that we find out that Jehovah, the great I Am, is the only true and living God. And so we see that people live for many generations on, on planet Earth until God reveals Himself as the great I Am. So um, I'll stick this, uh, this slide up here uh, if you're interested in doing some more study on this. Um, it's, a, it's a website. Praise God. If, if you don't get it, or you, you can email me, mark at hccnow.org. But it's a website that has the 950 names of God in the Bible. Amen. And you can find that at christiananswers.net forward slash dictionary forward slash names of God. Right? So you could probably just search 950 names of God and, and it would pull up. Now, um, get comfortable. Get you some popcorn. And uh, I'm fixing to give you the list. No, I'm not. Amen. I'm not going to give you all 950. I'm just going to give you a few of them. Uh, and you can study this out. It's a beautiful study. Uh, man, because, you know, sometimes we just name something to be naming it. That is not how God operates, okay? Um, when, when God changed uh, uh, Simon's name to Peter, okay, Simon means, uh, means a, a, a shaking reed, okay? <laughs> One who vacillates, all right? Um, Peter means rock, um, and so when Jesus renamed him, 
he, he was establishing something in Peter that needed to be established. When he changed uh, uh, Abram's name to Abraham, Abraham means father of a multitude or father of nations. Again, he changed his name before he was the father of one. Amen. And so you know, we talk about a name and what's in a name, the importance of a name. Um, every time Father God identified himself, introduced himself using a different name, he was revealing something to us about his nature and his character and his personality. So let me give you just a few of these. Amen. Um, uh, how about Jehovah Jireh? So he introduced himself as Jehovah Jireh. And of course, the meaning of Jehovah Jireh is the Lord will provide or the God who provides. I am the God who is your provider, Jehovah Jireh. You see how God is revealing something to us about himself. Here's, here's another one that would have uh, probably impacted them given the, the uh, agricultural society that they um, uh, lived in. He introduced himself as Jehovah Ra'ah. Jehovah Ra'ah. And this means the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, here's, a, here's another very, very important one. This one is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, and I can almost hear some of you uh, hollering through the camera. I know I'm probably going too fast here. Jehovah Rapha, and this means the Lord who heals you, or quite simply, the Lord your healer. The Lord your healer. Now, praise the name of the living God. Let me, let me come back and look at you for a minute, okay? <laughs> so, when we talk about some, some use this expression, divine healing. Um, I like divine healing because obviously God is divine and he brings healing. But sometimes when people hear divine healing, you'll hear them talk about uh, a spiritual healing. Um, not trying to confuse you or offend you, but a man or a woman doesn't need spiritual healing. If you, you either need spiritual resurrection, okay, <laughs> Or if you've been born again, amen, you've, you've been raised from the dead. So we were not spiritually sick. We were spiritually dead. The Bible's very clear about that. All right. Or then you'll say, well, you know, it's, it's something, uh, it's, it's mental, it's emotional healing and these kinds of things. Well, listen, God's the healer of the brokenhearted. So yes and amen on that. But the Bible is abundantly clear. And when God introduces himself as the Lord, your healer, he is talking about the physical healing of your body. He's talking about people who are sick, um, uh, broken physically in some way, injured physically in some way, uh, diseased in some way. Um, he is the Lord who heals you. He introduced himself to his people as the Lord, your healer. Now, why is this important? It's important because there are a lot of people in the body of Christ today who say God is out of the healing business, that he doesn't physically heal people any longer, that he doesn't uh, heal physical bodies, he only heals hearts and emotions and spirits, but somehow he's no longer interested in healing you physically. Well, when did he change? You see, healing is not just something that God does, it's something that he is. He is not just somebody who heals, he is healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. Amen. And 
and so he was Jehovah Rapha before Adam and Eve ever was created and, and existed on this planet. And 10 million years from now, he will still be Jehovah Rapha. Amen. Remember, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not that he changes. It's just that our understanding of who he is changes. And while we're here, let me introduce this thought to you. And, and it's not that we need him more today than we needed him yesterday. Uh, we've sang songs like that in the past in the body of Christ, and I don't have a problem with that song, but, but let me tell you what changes. Your need for Him is absolute. What changes is your understanding of your need for Him, okay? And what changes is your understanding of all that He wants to be to you and desires to accomplish and fulfill in your life. So He is Jehovah Rapha. He always has been and He always will be. Now, we didn't know this, about him until he revealed it, until he explained it. Once he explained to us, I am Jehovah Rapha, I am Jehovah Ra'ah, I am Jehovah Jireh, he's introducing himself who will provide, who is the provider, who is the shepherd, who is the one who heals you. Now here, here's, a, here's a, another one, it's kind of an interesting word and uh, pronunciation. But uh, this one is, and I'll try to discipline myself and leave it up there. This one is Jehovah Sid Canoe. The T is silent, the best of my Hebrew transliteration pronunciation experience understands. Amen. Uh, he is Jehovah Sid Canoe. Jehovah Sid Canoe. And this means he is the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Now, obviously, he always has been, he always will be, but it wasn't until he introduced himself to us as this that we learned something else about him that we did not know, that we understand something about his person, his nature, his personality. We see that he's not just a righteous God, but that he desires to be our righteousness. And, of course, this is, uh, in, in many ways, uh, a prophetic revelation of of God to man because we know that Jesus was destined to be our righteousness he who knew no sin Jesus who knew no sin became your sin became my sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him in Christ Jesus and so we see then that the list goes on and on and on now let's go to Matthew the 13th chapter we've got a few more minutes let me, praise God, there's, there's so much here. I want to try to get a lot of these verses uh, out there for you as, as we kind of look at this, you know, um, not in its totality. We, we would not have time to exhaust 950 names of God, nor would we have time to exhaust all the um, verses that talk about um, things that have not yet been revealed, that will be revealed, that have now been revealed for us in our day and age. Uh, but yet there's still many things the Bible talks about that have not yet been revealed, uh, but are still futuristic in nature. But let me remember our key point here is that the revelation of God's uh, nature and person and personality are progressive throughout Scripture. So as the Bible unfolds, he introduces himself and reveals himself to us progressively, um, meaning we know more about him uh, you know, by the time Isaiah speaks than we knew about him uh, in the first five books that the Lord gave uh, to us through Moses. 
And so that's important because people spoke about God based upon their understanding of Him uh, and what God allowed them to understand about Him uh, you know, in that season, in that time. Uh, and you know, so one you know, example of this would be when um, the disciples got offended at the Samaritans because they wouldn't allow Jesus to, to pass through uh, their uh, uh, territory to get to Jerusalem. And so they, you know, they're like, um, uh, Jesus, let's just call fire down from heaven and kill them all right now. I mean, he's talking about genocide. And, and of course, you know, they're basing this out of, you know, things in the Old Testament where a prophet calls a bear out to eat some children that had offended him and, and you know, God calling fire down on the prophets of Baal and, and, and these kinds of things. And, and Jesus looks at him and he says, you, you do not know what spirit you're of. Because I didn't come to take life, I came to give it. But see, you know, we'll talk about this some in the, in the service this evening. You know, so many of God's people are caught up in this idea that the ultimate goal is for the world to be judged and punished. That is, we're on the, if that's your understanding of what Christianity and God and Jesus desires for this world, you are wrong. Father God is not desiring for people to be judged and punished. He's wanting them to be helped and, and saved. And, and, and so... Um, he says, you, you have no idea what spirit you're of. But notice, they get that understanding. They got that understanding based upon things from the old system. But remember, that old system is, is fading out, and we're now in a new system. Sometimes you hear uh, people, um, and I know many years now that I've been preaching the goodness of God in the land of the living. You know, you preach a sermon on grace and, and the goodness of God, and people say, yeah, but what about Job? You know, and, and, and certainly, the, you know, the book of Job is there for our learning and our understanding. Uh, but Job is one of the oldest books uh, in the Bible. And, you know, the years when that book was, you know, written and, and, and the, the purposes for which it were written. Um, and yet, <clears throat> we, we look at something from the Old Testament and we try to use it to override or cancel out what's now changed and what's freely given to us in the New Testament. So when someone says to me, what about Job? My simple response to them is, what about Jesus? And, and certainly, I'm not saying that Job isn't important. Thank God we have his account in the Scriptures to read and study and learn from. But this was at a point where people had no idea who God is and what he's like compared to what we have available to us today to know and understand. All right, so let's go to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew chapter 13, praise God, and in uh, verse number 34. Matthew 13 and uh, 34. We are uh, running a little slow here on the verse. There it goes. All right, so Matthew 13 and 34. Um, it says this, All these things... Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things from the foundation of the world. Wow. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. Jesus was given permission to reveal things to mankind 
that had been kept under lock and key since Adam was placed on this planet. Think about that now. Jesus was given permission by God the Father to reveal things to speak, utter things kept secret from the foundations of the world, things that had been kept a secret, things that were a mystery, things that we had no idea of, no understanding of, because how could we unless God revealed it to us? And so He chose to keep those things a secret until Jesus came, and it was Jesus' privilege, honor, responsibility to uh, speak and reveal these things. So do you see then how the, the old system, um, things that people said and understand, understood and, and spoke and did their best to live uh, for God, um, they did not have understanding of the things that we now have access to and the opportunity to understand. My watch is connected to my phone, and I brought my phone uh, with me so that um, in case we had issues. Uh, shout out to my brother Brian. This is his uh, either 14th or 15th year. He started a discipleship class many, many years ago. And, and uh, anyway, he's with us, but normally he monitors if there's broadcast issues, but I didn't know he was going to do that from in the room, so that's why I got my phone with me. So I apologize for that interruption. Amen. So Jesus is revealing things that have never been revealed to anyone. Think about that. Think stuff, important stuff that's never been revealed to a to human heart, ears, or mind. Jesus now is revealing to us. This is this is one of the reasons. Um, if we get to it in the sermon tonight here at Heritage, we're going to talk a little bit more about David. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, and David was in so many ways he was a, a man ahead of his time. He he was actually uh, a a type of uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. And so much so that Jesus is to this day referred to as the son of, of David. Um, David operated like Jesus as a king, priest, and a prophet. He was anointed in, 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 uh, in those areas. And, and one of the great revelations, one of the great things that, that David understood about God that we again take for granted in our day and age was David talked about the loving kindness of God. In the Hebrew, it's the Hasid of God. And, and it's... I know I keep saying it over and over, but we take for granted that, that God is our Father and that He's loving and kind and gentle and merciful. Um, man, they did not understand that about Him uh, like we do in the Old Testament. But David, being a man ahead of his time, he wrote so much about the loving kindness and the tender mercies um, of God. Now, let's go to, praise God, John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse number 12 and 13. John 16, 12, and 13. We're talking about the, the, the life and nature of God, the, the, the personality of God, who He's like, what He's like, what He likes, what He doesn't like, so forth and so on, being revealed progressively as the Bible unfolds. So look at this here in John 16 and verse 12. Jesus speaking. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He... The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and will tell you things to come. So if you're familiar, familiar with, 
what's going on here in beginning in John the 14th, well, really beginning at the very beginning of his ministry, but at, by the time we get to the 16th chapter in John's gospel, Jesus' um, uh, crucifixion is, is getting pretty close. And so he is uh, preparing his disciples for what is about to happen. And he's telling them um, about the Holy Spirit that's going to be, he says he's with you now, but the, the Holy Spirit who's with you now will one day be in you, will be in you. And he, notice verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You, you can't bear them now. Th think about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look guys, th there's some important stuff that you need to know and understand. And I could tell you, but you, he says you couldn't bear it. It doesn't mean they couldn't hear it with their physical ear, or even take notes about it and regurgitate it back to him. But when he's talking about bearing it, he's talking about it becoming a part of them, it becoming grafted into them. Um, and he says, it's, you're not ready for it. Um, but, but the good news is, he says, when I leave, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth is going to come. And he's going to be another one like me. That's what that word uh, comforter or helper uh, in the Greek, it means parakletos, another one like Jesus called alongside to help you. And so he says, another one like Jesus, another one like me is going to be called alongside you to help you, and he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. So what is he saying? This is Jesus speaking here. He's saying there are things that I have to, to teach you and to reveal to you important things that I haven't taught you yet, um, but the Holy Spirit will teach you and he will reveal these things to you. So even at the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry, there are still important things to be revealed, um, things that Jesus introduced that will be expounded upon, um, teachings and truth and doctrines and things pertaining to grace, things pertaining to the kingdom um, that uh, will be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And so obviously that is, you know, uh, Peter, uh, uh, James, um, the, not James, the Lord's half-brother, the book of James, um, uh, the Apostle Paul, think about all the Holy Spirit revealed to us about God, about grace, about our salvation through the Apostle Paul. These were things obviously Jesus knew and understood that he would have loved to exp have explained to his disciples and to us while he was present on the earth, but he said they weren't ready for him. Obviously, we, we weren't ready for him at that point, uh, but we are now. They, they, it was the Holy Spirit is revealing those things. So I said, obviously, that revelation would continue throughout the rest of the 66 books of the Bible. But as this applies to you and me personally, think about all the things that you know about God that the Holy Spirit revealed to you. Think about all the things that, that, that you have experienced and, and, and uh, have enjoyed even uh, when it comes to the things of God that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. And then on a, on a personal level, um, whatever he hears, he will speak and will tell you things to come. Uh, this could be worldwide prophetic utterances. Uh, maybe God raises you up a, an international voice on, on television or radio or internet or what have you, and God reveals prophecies to you concerning the church. This is happening all the time, things to come. But it's also on a personal level. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come in your own uh, individual personal life. One of the more 
profound stories of this in, in our family. Um, years ago, uh, my brother's wife, my sister in grace, uh, Vanessa, um, she needed to, uh, to go to the dentist on a Friday, and uh, a lot of dentist offices, most dentist offices, uh, turns out, are closed on a Friday, and, uh, and she finally found one uh, that was open, and they were going to work her in, and, um, and she had called my, uh, my mom uh, to tell her, because we were all trying to help her find a dentist, and, and um, that, where she was going, and, and um, so uh, I don't know if it was, I think it was a, a, a little while later, uh, but somehow my mother called her back and she said, look, I know that you were hard for you to find that dentist and all this stuff. She says, but I just don't, I just don't believe you need to go to that. And I don't know why, but just something in my spirit. You just can't get settled about it. And, and thankfully, you know, Vanessa respected her elders. And, and, and so she says, okay. So she called and canceled the appointment. Okay. That afternoon at the time of Vanessa's appointment, a massive oak tree fell through the waiting room of that dental office where they would have been sitting. Her and um, I think Daniel was born then, wasn't he, Pam? At least, at least her two, two oldest boys. Um, Will and Jesse, her and her two sons would have been there in, in that dentist office. So even when we talk about he'll show you things to come, that's not just, you know, worldwide prophetic utterances. This is things that pertain uh, to, to your life. Think about the advantage we have in life if the Holy Spirit shows us things to come, if, if, he, if, if, if we allow him this opportunity to reveal these things to us. Now, I'm out of time. I'm not out of stuff. Let, let me just give you one more quick verse. Um, really, it's multiple verses, but one more set of verses uh, because it, it so dovetails with this and then we'll begin with some new stuff uh, next week. I pray that you're getting as much out of this as, as I uh, am and enjoying uh, tonight. Praise God. Um, so Colossians chapter and verse 24. So the last group of verses for this class. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. He says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church. That's some pretty bold statements right there, if you consider what he's saying. But Paul recognized, how about, you know, all of you, Jesus, and none of me? Well, Paul understood that that wasn't going to work. And Paul was saying, look, I've got some skin in the game. Um, it, I've suffered for you. Jesus suffered for you, for you to be born again. So the least I can do is uh, inconvenience myself enough to get this gospel to you. Uh, for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now listen to this, verse 26 and 27. He says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God will to make known. What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Man, this one mystery, this one treasure, this one thing that was kept secret, that was kept hidden. He says, Christ in you, the confident expectation of all that God is, 
of all that God has and of all that God can do. That's the glory of God. All that He is, all that He has, and all that He can do. Christ in you, the confident expectation, the hope, confident expectation of glory. So, you know, it was unheard of. It's not, you know, prophets begin to, of course, we're getting toward the end of the Old Testament now, you know, these prophets are starting to talk about things that are, are to come and things that will be. Uh, pour my spirit out on all flesh, right? And they're like, what in the world? What would that look like, you know? Well, here we are. This is what it looks like because this is the day that Joel, the prophet, spoke of. But there are other things that were kept hidden, that were kept secret, that were not uttered until God gave Jesus permission to do it and then the apostles permission to do it. And we see that among these is this great mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together during this class. I thank you, Lord, that um, you are speaking to us and inspiring us and, and anointing us and equipping us, Father. Lord, I thank you for uh, a, a deep, deep, deep confidence that's building in us uh, where your word is concerned. For, Father, truly, it's living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, divides spirit from soul, pierces to the joints and marrow in the bones and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Father, I thank you that your word uh, is working mightily and powerfully in us and through us. And when we open our mouths and speak it to other people, it's as if you, Father, are speaking through us to them. Be reconciled to God. Father, thank you for the faithfulness of those who are participating in these classes. Father, I thank you that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And I know, Father, that the diligence that's represented Father, in this room and those watching online is pleasing to you and is rewarded by you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for uh, being uh, with us uh, today. And uh, we believe.